done this, they caught a great number of fish. Their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and they followed him. What I love is this, when it comes to the fact that Jesus was going to choose disciples, Jesus didn't do what we would consider Jesus might have done. Jesus didn't go to a headhunter agency to look for the best talent. Jesus didn't ask for resume submissions. Jesus didn't go to the schools of theology at the time asking for their best and their brightest. Jesus did then what Jesus does now, and what Jesus does is he looks for someone who is willing to let him step into the boat. When it comes with an encounter to Jesus, similar to Peter, I cannot control what has happened up to this point. But what I can control is what I do when Jesus is present. Peter had no idea. You had in this passage everyone gathering around, wanting to hear the word of God, pressing Jesus to the point where he's on the shore. He can't back up anymore but to step into a boat. They wanted to hear the word of God. What I love about this is just the day before here, the chapter, I should say, Jesus has been preaching in Peter's hometown. Jesus was doing miracles in Peter's hometown. Jesus was casting out demons, healing the sick, and he even healed Peter's mother-in-law. Now, when it comes to mother-in-laws, you would think that would cause him to have this epiphany, to hear God's voice, right? But it didn't. It is wild that it takes fish to speak to Peter. But there are several men here that maybe you're in that same boat. Maybe Big Mouth Billy Bass could speak to you better than a miracle in your own family at times. Jesus, it could have been looked at this way. Jesus was there that day to preach, and Peter was there that day to fish. But you can't tell Jesus where to stop. Right? We can look at the story and say, this is how it was going to be. But the way that this played out, Jesus wasn't just there to preach. He was there, a divine appointment to call Peter. And this is where we find this man, Peter. He had been up all night. He is cleaning and washing nets that had caught no fish. There is a saying when it comes to fishing, a bad day fishing beats a good day at the office. Yeah, that's true, except when you're a professional fisherman and you catch no fish right? No fish means no pay. And so he has this encounter with Jesus. And what I'm going to tell you right now, encounters with Jesus often happen in the least convenient times in our lives. This is truth, right? If you are in a place where you're waiting for everything to be so-so, it may not happen. So Jesus comes along and asks this question, can I step into your boat? There were two possible answers to that, and there still are two possible answers. Yes, Lord, you can, or no, Lord, you cannot. Is Jesus allowed on board your boat? Honestly. You know, boats are a big thing now. Driving home, I'll probably pass a couple bass boats behind 
$80,000 pickups. Those lucky guys. But when you let Jesus into the boat, you get a front row seat to the things that Jesus is doing. Right? I was just saying one of my favorite things in ministry is baptizing people because I get to see their face when they come up out of that water before anyone else does. Peter got to see the looks on people's faces when they heard the voice of Jesus for the first time, when it clicked for the first time. It looks different, it feels different when you have a front row seat because you've let him on board. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's time to draw near. It's time to understand that there are not these places Jesus isn't allowed because it's my personal space, but let him in my personal space. It isn't about letting him just come aboard. It's what you do afterward that counts. I love this. With Peter, you know, he could have let Jesus on board the boat and he could have said to Jesus, you will be a minor party here. You will simply keep the ropes from getting tangled. You will bail out the boat if water gets in. You will put the bait on the lines. That's what you're going to be. You'll be a first mate, Jesus. But when Jesus steps on, Jesus wants to be the captain. This is the way that it works. It's kind of a non-negotiable if you let him in the boat because he says this. Put out a little from the shore. Push it out there, just a little bit. Now, can you imagine the audacity? I mean, Peter obviously in a bad mood. Peter has been let down, if you will, because he's going to go home and he's going to tell his wife, I caught no fish. And she's going to say, how in the world are we going to make the house payment? How in the world are we going to feed the family? How in the world? He has these employees, and if you have your own business, you understand no money comes in, hard to pay the employees. Peter could have said when Jesus asked to get into the boat, sorry, I can't hear you, above the noise of my own drama. There's a thing, it's called boat culture. I'm going to relate it to church culture here. Several years ago, I had the privilege of detailing boats. <laughs> and when you would go to yacht clubs, there were some yacht clubs that you would go to and the people were good with their boats simply sitting at their dock and them sitting in lawn chairs staring at their boat. Right? I mean, it's wild. As believers, we can throw that around. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. It's almost like with those baby on board signs that used to be on every minivan, right? Like Jesus on board. Like we walk around. It's an easy thing to do. It really doesn't take anything. Like I never pulled up to a minivan and was like, prove there's a baby on board right? Nobody walks up to you and prove Jesus is in your heart. They may not do that. But with this boat culture, it was weird because what I figured out, it takes a lot of work to leave the dock. And some people don't want to do that. It's going to cost you something to leave the dock. That it's nice sometimes to put the yacht club sticker on your car and never take your boat out. So many of us are okay with the sticker of believer, but we don't want to take it out on the water. When Jesus steps on board, he wants to see it move, <laughs> right? 
Jesus knows the difference between a dock and a boat. If he didn't, if he won't be close to water and not move, he'd just stand on the dock. I love that Jesus does something. You know what he does? It says he sits down in this passage. That tells me something. It tells me that he trusts Peter. It didn't say Jesus got on board and Jesus put on a life preserver and Jesus cautiously watched to see if the boat would go down. Can Jesus trust you? Can he trust you? We would all say yes. But these are the kinds of things when you think, what has he entrusted me with and what have I done with that? That boat, it's about relationship. It's about blessing other people. Here's one way to view it when it comes to your boat. What I allow Jesus to control will lead to others hearing his voice. I say that in this way. Jesus, take command of it. Jesus, use it for your glory. And here, you're like, well, how could that look? Well, it may look like the $20 bill that's in your wallet that you could give somebody a $20 handshake when you know that they're down. It could look like the timeshare that you sit on year after year that never gets used, blessing a family with a vacation. It could look like a Cracker Barrel gift card giving it to somebody because you know they love the Sunday chicken. Or it could be using your God-given trade without compensation to bless someone in the body of Christ. That was a quiet one. Are you willing to let Jesus control how it's used? God, I trust you with everything, but not this. God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my soul, but I do not trust you with my finances. God, I trust you with my job, with my children, but Lord, I do not trust that if I were to take one night out a week to be in a Bible study that you would be able to make my time work the way I need it to. I'm just saying it that this is what the boat looks like. We get this idea, man, there were some boats, there was this one boat we did, it was called the Blue Jewel. It barely fit on a trailer, it was this little thing, and you couldn't make it look good, but the owner was so proud. And then when Mike Fratello was with the Cavs, he had a boat down in Bratnall. And this thing was like from here to the back of the church. Huge. Guy didn't even drive it. He went down and got on it and somebody drove it for him. What are you doing with the boat that Jesus has given you? What I love is this stepping on, this first thing that we read about, it wouldn't be the last time that Jesus and Peter were on boats together. We heard last week about that idea of climbing on the boat after he had choked on salt water. The time before that, when Jesus was sleeping in the boat, when the storm blew up, the longer that you walk with Jesus, the more that you let him in, the easier it's going to be in situations to hear his voice and to let him sit down. I want him to have a seat. I want him to pick the place that he sits I don't want to say to Jesus, Jesus, you would be more comfortable over here in my life. I want Jesus to come in and have the pick of what is going on. Because where I place Jesus in the boat says more about my comfort than it does my faith sometimes. Can you imagine being a part of seeing all those people listening to Jesus preach? A privilege and honor, that great commission starting to roll. It isn't over when the sermon ends kind of thing. And I say that because we have this privilege when we're together. This can be where it starts and ends every week, 
or this can be the flashpoint. It can be like a powder keg when God's people come together. What just happened down here? People were literally coming up and pouring their hearts out. Asking God for healing, asking God for freedom, asking God for wisdom. When these things happen, it doesn't stay here on Sunday. But imagine that audacity. A carpenter telling a professional fisherman how to do his job. When Jesus tells you what he wants you to do, you have two choices. You can obey or disobey. You can obey or argue. And what's wild, you may spend a great deal of your walk either arguing or obeying. Peter could have said, Jesus, I am tired. Whether you heard it or not, I was up all night fishing. Jesus, you may be able to make fish out of wood, but I catch real fish. Jesus, the fish bite at night. Have you not been told? Jesus, all these people that you brought up around the boat have scared the fish, right? I already put the nets away. Jesus, you may be good about the things you're good about, but I know fishing. I mean, seriously, that's like a quote right from me, I feel like, in the way that I do things sometimes. There are times in my walk where I've been like the redback hymnal, where I've been like onward Christian soldier. Woo! And there are times where I've been like, I shall not be moved. Right? I want to be consistently walking toward Jesus. Here's what's wild. When Peter says to him, Master, when Jesus is talking to him and Peter turns and says, Master, it is a unique usage of this word to the gospel of Luke, and it means commander, it means leader, it means boss. And when you begin to identify Jesus as your boss, then things may get a little rocky. Things may change in your life. The status quo may change a little. I'm reminded of that movie, Dead Poets Society, where at the end of the movie, when the teacher's leaving, that the students stand up on the desk and they, oh, Captain, my captain, they say, as they stand there, and they're trying to honor someone. And as they're doing that, the schoolmaster comes in, and he's like, get down from there. Get down from there. You are in trouble. You get down from there. When you stand for Jesus and start calling him master, you're going to have some people saying, get down from there. It may be people in your own home. It may be people in your own church. It may be, you don't know who's going to be like, get down off your high horse. Get down off there. What are we going to do with that? How are we addressing Jesus? When I'm looking at these things, I'm reminded of a few words. One is nevertheless. When he says, Master, we've been out here and we didn't catch any fish, but nevertheless... It's time to get some nevertheless in your walk. Nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to let the nets down. A confessional, there's times that I want Jesus to fill my boat with fish before I start to allow him to use my boat to bless others. 
that may not be the way that it works. At your word, Jesus, I'm going to let it down. And this is where I would ask you, at his word, how much of his word is in you and how is the word getting into you? How often are you reading God's word? If you are depending on your amount of scripture to come from what happens from here on a Sunday, you are going to be lacking throughout the week. What is your personal devotional plan? What type of Bible are you reading? Do you have a Bible that you can't understand a word in, but you say you have a Bible? Well, that Bible's not helping you. You need to have something you can understand. It's time to knock the formality of religion down and get in God's word daily, daily. Jesus, at your word. Whenever Jesus asks me to go into the deep waters, I need to remember that he's in the boat beside me. And church, it's time to drop some nets. It's, there's something about circumstance, and here's the truth. It is not wrong to tell Jesus how you are feeling, but it is wrong to tell Jesus that the way you are feeling is going to be the reason you disobey him. That's just truth. Circumstance is going to be there. We need to get to the place where we can't see the bottom of the lake and throw the net. Nevertheless, kind of faith means that the nets are going to come up in a way that they're going to start to break. When they had done this, everyone in the boat was amazed. There are times, and again, this is what I got to tell myself as part of the church, this isn't the good time three. We aren't going on a Lake Erie cruise to count dead carp floating in the water and to eat whatever, grilled cheese, whatever they serve there. I am on a working boat. This is a working boat, and I am beside people who are working just like me. I'm wearing the waders, and I'm out here to do things for Jesus. Show up with your waders on. It'd be cool if we all showed up looking like the Gortons fishermen every Sunday, ready to do whatever God had for us to do. And what I love is that it didn't stop at the boat that Peter owned. They signaled to their partners in the other boat. There were so many fish that both boats began to sink. I'm going to tell you a story of a man named Jim McGreedy, or James McGreedy, if you will. He lived on the frontiers of Kentucky. In 1790, he pastored three small churches. They met in roughly built shacks. In the winter of 1799, it was a season of people getting together in church and weeping and mourning what the world had become, how the people of God had become lawless, how it looked like that there was no hope as far as God's people just doubling down on what they call faith. He started getting people together in prayer, but then he asked for his congregation to pray for him and his ministry in the word for half an hour before they went to bed every Saturday night and half an hour when they wake up on Sunday morning. In 1800, an extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit came and so many people began to come to Christ that McGreedy called out, any preacher of any kind who loves the Lord Jesus, come and help me. This is what I'm praying. I am praying that God pours it out in this church, but I'm okay if God pours it out in that church. 
I am praying that it gets to a point where we've got to call on Sunday morning and be like, have you got any seats? Because we got people out in the parking lot. Have you got any parking lot space? Because we got people out in the yard. This is how I'm praying that God's spirit draws and churches let down their walls and we begin to work together because I'm telling you what, my boat is no better than the boat over there at Life Point. Because what comes up in the nets is going to preach a sermon. I close on this. Peter, for all, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish. They were astonished. It means surrounded. Literally so much blessing that they were standing in fish. I want God to pour it out so much that we're standing in it. Right? Because you don't wear waiters to look the part. You wear waiters for a reason. Jesus falls down at, or Peter falls down at Jesus' knees. And it's funny because when I was younger, well, not too long ago, we would always laugh. So in my family with Dennis and Mona, the girls always take up for Dennis, and it's funny because like anything could happen, you know. Like, and they'd be like, "Is Dad okay?" Is that? And she'd be like, "Well, I'm fine too. Thanks for asking." And I just thought of the fact that, like with Peter, I mean, his own mother-in-law was sick, but it was the fish that spoke to his heart. But what filled the nets preaches. What filled his nets he could not argue with. A company-wide revival took place right there on the water. A fear of God fell over them. Peter's feelings in the beginning were disappointment, but in the end, he heard Jesus' voice so clearly. In the end, it was about Jesus first, and Jesus took care of all the things Peter worried about. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch men. Here's my prayer for this church, that the nets are going to come up full over and over again. In your family, when the nets come up, that they are full over and over again, and that you call out to other people because what God blesses you with, he's going to share with other people. Like Peter, maybe this season of disappointment is a springboard into destiny. And here's something wild, and I question how I wanted to end this. Sometimes Jesus is going to allow you to see the outcome. Sometimes Jesus is going to make us wait for the reveal. This is wild. From now on, you're going to catch some men. See, fishermen know how to be patient. Fishermen know how to change up their spot. Fishermen know how to put different bait on how to cast different ways. Fishermen know this. Liam Neeson said in a movie that was not a Christian movie that I have a certain set of skills. Some of you have a certain set of skills that are God-given skills. He is going to use those skills to catch whom he is sending you to. Jesus is in control of the boat. He's in control of the tackle box. Here's a story. 
sometimes he'll allow you to see the nets fill. Went yesterday with Dennis to the place that he worked. They had a family day. And Dennis shared a story. Someone walked by. And he's like, that's that guy. I remember hearing this story, but I saw it. It was a co-worker. And Dennis worked third shift. He hated third shift. But as a man providing for family, you work third shift. And God puts this man in his path. And after work, third shift, the man would ask, do you want to go fishing? I'd be like, no, I don't want to go fishing at eight in the morning after I've been up all night. But Dennis would go fishing with this man. Near together, this man would share his heart with Dennis, things he was going through. And Dennis would get opportunity and he'd share the gospel. And later, this man comes to Dennis and explains the impact that he had on him and the seed that he had sown and how this man had given his life to Jesus. I say that because the season that you are in, even though you may hate it, God can use you mightily if you will just be obedient, if you will just be inconvenienced, if you'll just be faithful. He didn't say to Dennis, when we get off work, can we go by that church and pray at the altar? No, what he said is, can we go fishing? But hear Jesus' heart in it. That second part, we may not see the impact. Wait for one second, Madeline, on that. I'm going to tell you another story. My friend from Ecuador, Bobby, called me. And he said, there's a place you have to come to down here. He said it's very violent and to get in there you have to pay the organized crime ring for protection. And he wants to get in there because he does this give water, right, that we're participating in. And he said when he was going the last time, him and a pastor that I know, that when he got there that day the organized crime ring had killed the mayor in that city. Dangerous. But he's like, you need to see this. And I'm thinking, are you my friend or not my friend? <laughs> and he explained to me that the people that were there, they're called the Quechua people, and they're the native people in Ecuador, and they live in the mountains. And they were coming down out of the mountains because they were being driven out of there. It's an area where the cartels are jockeying for land and jockeying for trade. And so they are up against uh, pretty much a volcano, Cotopaxi, and, and it's this encampment. And he explained something to me, and I'm going to show it to you. And he said that the water that they're getting comes down off of that volcano. It's like drinking glass water is what that would be. And he said, when I went, the children there were used to eating rice that when cooked, it was green because their water was so nasty. Show that video, if you could there, Madeline. Thank you. 
I'm here with Pastor Abram in the community of Latacunga here in Ecuador. He has a vision to reach this community for Christ. The migrants are coming uh, from the mountains looking for work, looking for opportunities, looking for a better way of life. But what they're finding is just hard work, just um, no money and just daily despair and desperation. And here they are just forced to live on this dry, dusty land and just make concrete blocks, to dig into the mountains and to find the raw materials to make concrete blocks. It's amazing to me that here in this community, they have no water. There is just natural runoff, just little streams that are trickling off the mountains. And they gather this water and they boil their rice and they make their, they use this water. And the water that they're using when they make rice, it turns the rice green. Their rice is the color of grass. He's been now working in this area and is now serving about 500 children here. Every day he is providing them nutrition, providing them education, and now we're going to partner with him to provide them with safe, sanitary water. And we're going to partner with Pastor Abram and this local church that is serving the children in this community to make sure that every family has safe, clean water to drink and to cook with. So here's the thing. When Bobby called me, he asked me this. He said, I need you to pray. He said, I want... I want to dig a well. It's like they shouldn't be living this way. He said, I want you to pray. And I said, well, get specific, Bobby. What am I praying? And he said it would cost $5,000 to dig a well. As a church, you are faithful in giving. When you give to this church, it is your expectation that good things will be done with the money that you give. The other night I approached council and I asked them this. I said, will you approve, which is in your authority to approve, $5,000 from the general fund? to be transferred to dig a well in Ecuador. They overwhelmingly said yes. I say this for two reasons, because of your faithfulness, we're able to bless. Because you give in tithe, because you give faithfully, the money is there to be able to bless when the need arises. Now these people aren't going to have to eat whatever we were looking at, and they're going to be able to have a well to get clean water out of the ground. And then when we tell them about Jesus, they're not just going to hear about people who show up and are going to tell them something, but they have shown the love of Jesus by the way that we have blessed. 
This is what it's about. We may never see the impact. Those 500 kids a day, Peter may have never known those people standing that were on that shore till he got to heaven. You may never know through your faithfulness until you get to heaven what's going to happen in Ecuador. God is bringing revival. I want to be part of that revival, whether it is in this county or whether it's on this globe. I want this church to be part of that. I encourage you, if you are struggling with should I give, yes, you should, because God's money goes toward God's things. We're going to pray, and in a moment, we're going to be doing some baptisms. If you are in here and you're going to be getting baptized and you need to change, now would be a good time to slip out. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this boat. Let it be a boat that brings you glory. Use it how you will. Take whatever seat you would like, Jesus. And Father, as we go forward, allow the impact and the ripple effect to shake eternity. This is your house. And we go forward together in Jesus' name, amen.